everybody. You are listening to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. So my guest, um, we were uh, just getting a little chat in prior to starting. And I, it, time flies so fast. And especially now where time isn't even an abstract. It's a, it's a non-entity. <laughs> so it's like the fact that this is your third appearance, I think this is pretty rad. And you're one of my favorite people to talk to ever like especially on like on twitter and you know your other appearances have always been fun and i've always walked away learning something about myself and you and also just and, and something that we discussed it was the fact that when you have multiple appearances on a show i didn't want it to be like a standard interview where i'm like what are you doing what are you up to like you know <laughs> it's like yeah. who brought you here cia fbi like <laughs> <laughs> right you know, you're, you're a friend, and, well, yeah. for everybody else, uh, Alex Schumacher, who is a cartoonist, all-around good guy. Uh, matter of fact, roughly around a year ago, you were on the show, um, episode 152, in which we were celebrating 200 strips of Decades of Inexperience through Ant Express. Yeah. Which we just concluded on January 1st, as a matter of fact. We did, it was just over five years that we had under our belt, and... Both Ant Express, the editor Francis Lombard and I kind of felt as though we had accomplished what we wanted to for the time being. We had a very particular set of coordinates that we were trying to reach from the beginning of the webcomic, and we kind of cycled through that arc. And we decided that now was the right time to end the weekly. And there's still maybe stories to tell in the future, you know, going forward, and we may do that sort of in a, a different format, maybe a graphic novel. But I think we're happy with the way the weekly turned out and we have some other things we're working on. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And we're, we just started putting together a collection actually. And since we did cut it off for after the five years, is about five years and change. The collection is going to be kind of an omnibus of all five years. Okay. So that'll be something to look for in the, the coming months. Hopefully we'll have some more, some additional information on that. And there'll be, you know, supplemental uh, material in there, sketches, an intro from a yet to be announced uh, industry friend and, you know, things that will make it worth buying as opposed to just reading it for free online. Hopefully anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, I think people will. And decades of inexperience has been something that I've always enjoyed. Luke Carlin's exploits that we've discussed on um, your last two appearances, while may not necessarily mirror my life like point for point, I think that at least personally, I got so much out of the story and a lot of the beats and elements and even some things that happened because it is semi-autobiographical. I really sure. connected with Luke and okay. considering that it's a story that is, you know, loosely based on your life. I remember when we talked last time, you know, there was this air of life is always happening. There's there's no moment where it isn't. Um, well, actually, there is. It's called death. <laughs> sure. That's um, where life stops. For right. Sure. <laughs> and in your stories, uh, your death is drunk. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there is that character. Yeah. And so, you know, as you said, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because the exploits of our friend Luke are definitely played up for effect as compared to what I actually 
went through in my own life, the, the things I actually endured. And, you know, we knew we had this sort of transformation that we wanted the character to go through, just, you know, like a lot of people do. You're younger and, you know, you may not have had specific experiences that open you to learning about not just yourself, but others as well. And we definitely planned from the beginning, it was by design, that Luke would go through that kind of a metamorphosis. Right. And and again, we kind of got to that point. I don't like stories that have really neat endings. I like, you know, end the story that you're telling, sure, but I want there to be something, for me as, as an audience member, I want there to be something that I'm thinking about afterward. I want there to be something that stays with me. So the decision to stop when we did, to conclude the story where we did, there's still plenty of, of life to live for Luke, but he's at a point which is diametrically opposed to when we first found him, you know, back in 2015. So we had that, that arc that, you know, the um, journey, the transformative journey that Luke went on. And we thought that we had conveyed that. So we figured again, that it was time to stop the weekly. And there may be again, stories to tell in the future, but that it felt like the right time to, to end it. For, for now. I was curious and, you know, and I swore like I wasn't going to like interview, but I did have like one question. When we were speaking last year, you know, the, obviously the world's in a much different place. We were all in a different space mindset, you know, and it was the start of the year. And like a lot of times the start of years are, at least for me, at least a little hopeful because new year, new start, you know, there's a lot of goals you want to hit. And you're also celebrating 200 episodes of this book. And, you know, it's something that you've worked on for a very long time. And while I'm a firm believer that it's better for a creator to say to themselves, I'm okay with stopping here. And it's not because of any sort of pressure, not an editorial issue or any sort of, it's just that I'm telling stories that I want to tell. And this is where I feel like this is a good place to either pause or just end it all together. And I, I can't imagine like 200 episodes in, you know, and it's like this could possibly go on for as long as you want. So now a year later, the story for the most part has ended. So like, has that been kind of tough to to even do or just to even kind of come to that conclusion? No, I honestly, I felt not relief, but satisfaction because we walked away on our own terms. Right. You know, it was. Again, the objective from the beginning was to tell this story. And I think even when I spoke to you last year, I, I believe it was February of last year. So first of all, we had absolutely no clue the shit storm that was coming our way. Not That's, at all. First of all. <laughs> Secondly, I think Francis and I still had the idea that we were going to continue on with a sixth year. But the more we collaborated on the trajectory of the fifth year during 2020, it became more and more apparent that it was winding down and continuing it simply would have been jumping the shark to a degree. You know, we would have right. just been forced, we would have just been forcing it to just to continue. And that would have been the only reason. And I think we both had the idea that that wasn't something that we wanted to do, especially with this character. And not when we were in full control. There was no reason to. We weren't 
you know, kowtowing to any corporate sponsors or trying to, you know, keep any specific demographic. We had our readership. We know people liked it. And we thought we were doing the character and the audience justice by ending it where we did. So I was, I think I was satisfied with it closing. Like I said, Francis, I am working on a couple of other things now, plus not much that I can talk about, but there's a graphic novel that my agent has out on submission that we're hoping to possibly hear something about soon. And again, this, I can't, there's not a whole lot that we could talk about with this, but Mr. Budget is getting a relaunch. Oh, nice. And in, in, I think we're planning for April. And it's through SLG Publishing, the guys who put out the Butterchips book. That is awesome. Yeah, and it's a bit of a, I'm, I'm sort of jokingly calling it a reboot in regards to the fact that when I was publishing with Drunk Monkeys, the online literary magazine that had hosted Mr. Butterchips, you know, since 2016, it became very reliant on the Trump administration and having that specific constellation of people to push back against. And that's all well and good. And those ideologies are still around and still deserve, you know, um, resistance. Right. Absolutely. But Yeah. But I kind of repurposed some of that and, and reformatted some of those ideas. So it's going to be a bit more of a surreal experience and, Again, I don't want to ruin too much, but it's a little bit of a different Mr. Butterships than we've seen in the past. And I'm actually really excited to debut it. That is cool. And I do like the fact that, you know, first off, I'm proud of you. (laughs) You know, I really am. And, you know, when we very first spoke and obviously you're very proud of your work and you've done a lot of good things. But I've noticed that at least now there's a, a certain confidence and almost like this eagerness to move on to the next step and obviously like you said luke was a a very big part of your life and that will always be there but yeah i I feel like in a way like you said satisfaction which is something that when things end that doesn't necessarily always come through and i feel like sometimes when we talk about things ending whether it be sometimes relationships or even like a tv series things like that Mm-hmm. or even like a band breaking up, because that's always where my head goes. Right. You know, yeah. we always think of it as it was bad blood. It was, you know, there was this, like, falling out. There's this, you know. Sure, there's some cataclysmic event that caused the downfall of whatever exactly. ended. Yeah. As opposed to just, uh, matter of fact, um, what, a week ago uh, since this recording, uh, Daft Punk broke up and everybody kind of like freaked out and mourned. But then you forget that they've been together for close to 30 years. Yeah, I think it's after, after the initial reaction of, wait, they're still around? Then you you sort of, you know, have, <laughs> have a little bit of a sad reaction. But I think, <laughs> you know, I think anytime you end something, and I felt this to some degree with decades, there's it's a bittersweet sort of sensation because it was such a huge part of my life for a long time. And it was, you know, a weekly project that I was engrossed in. So there's certainly, you know, there's certainly some bittersweet, you know, aspects to it, but, but it's not melancholy. It's not pining for what was I'm, I'm grateful for the strip or for the web comic. I'm grateful for, you know, Francis and Ant Express for, you know, presenting it and putting it out to everybody. But it was time to move on. I'm kind of a restless creator. I, I'm always looking 
for the next project. Or in the case of Mr. Butterchips, how to change a project that I'm working on to, to reinvigorate it and make it fresh again. I, I find myself becoming, I don't want to say bored, but if I'm working on something for too long, especially something like an ongoing series, it becomes stagnant to me. And I'm sort of looking for the, you know, the exit, <laughs> the exit route, you know, a lot of the times. And I didn't want it to get to that point with decades. I wanted to end it where it was still enjoyable for me to create because that could have been very obvious in the work that was being produced if your heart was no longer in it. And for me, moving on was a way to, you know, honor that character, honor the work that we had done, and also keep myself motivated. Yeah. And what is creativity but evolution? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a huge part of it. This is no mark, like, against, like, any creator who, let's say, is known for creating a thing and kind of runs on with it. If that's where your heart lies, then fine. But I just feel like... My favorite creators, and regardless of the medium or the format or genre, there's always something new. There's always something where I like coming to a particular creator years down the line and realizing, like, hey, we're trying something new and succeed or fail, hell or high water. It's like, this is where we are at this moment. Right. I think that now I'm okay with coming to understanding that certain things absolutely should end. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Right. And I I guess I should have prefaced a little bit by saying that I was speaking specifically for myself. Oh, yeah. I figure such. (laughs) When talking talking about moving from, you you know, leapfrogging from project to project, that's just something that I have found necessary for myself. But I know many creators who have worked on a specific book series or a comic strip for decades and the work they still do is phenomenal. You know, somebody like Keith Knight, who does the K Chronicles. Uh, Now he has that Hulu show Woke, which is kind of based on the comic. Right. But he's been doing that for, you know, nigh on 30 years or something, and it's still great. Uh, Ruben Bowling, who does Tom the Dancing Bug, which is a syndicated strip, you know, he's been doing that for probably close to the same amount of time, if not longer. And they're still able to maintain that vibrancy and keep it new. So if you're able to do that and it's something that you love, something your heart continues to be in, more power to you. I was just speaking for myself that if I am on something for too long or if I feel as though I've already told the story, there's no reason, you know, in my mind to continue being, you know, banging my head against a wall. But that's for me. You know, again, I, I feel like I have very specific points that I'm trying to reach when I have a project. You know, there is a specific story I'm trying to tell, whereas the aforementioned creators have properties that are, you know, were kind of designed to continue on in perpetuity, you know, and and they were created that way, which is fine and which is great. And they clearly still love what they do. For me, I almost need something else to work on or something new to work on every few years. I've, I've noticed that about myself. Right. And to be that self-aware and to know yourself that well and to be comfortable with that, especially in a like this is it, it's very odd to be in a field where we're told to be daring, to be bold, to follow your own path, whatever the path is. But then the roundabout way is to be like, don't do it that way. 
You know, yeah. so it's like, well, you could have. You could have gone on for, like you said, years with Luke. But sure. at the end of the day, if you, if it's it's not, and I know obviously it's art and, you know, part of, you know, like you put it out into the world, but if you're sitting at your table or what have you and you're muttering to yourself, like, <laughs> like this, you know, freaking 300 episodes of this, I don't even want to do this. And like, it's going to come through in your art eventually. And then you're just like, you know, what about the bitter Alex Schumacher? You're too cool for that. <laughs> well, that's, I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, I definitely want things that I am, again, that I'm, you know, putting out into the world and releasing unto the unsuspecting public. I want it to be something I'm proud of for sure. And, and I don't want it to be something that I, you know, simply produced because there was a deadline or simply produced to have something to show. So that's, I think that's been something that's very important to me to ensure that whatever I'm putting out has, you know, my full life force in it, if you will, you know, uh, something that that you can tell because again with with the people that we were talking about who have had ongoing series you still have that's still their essence it's still their personality in there and it still feels very full of life and animated and I, so i don't want to reach the point and i know myself well enough to know that i can very easily reach that point where it will just a lot of it will fall flat so moving on changing things up that's integral to my stuff remaining something that I could be proud to show. You know, I, I definitely want to see where, you know, the next step goes. And I know there's certain things that we can't necessarily touch on just yet, but when those things happen, um, that'll be there. And I, I'm sure anyone who's followed your work probably already knows this. And I, I think it's going to be a good time. And right now, and like, you know, I don't necessarily mean to harp on this, but if there's something I've learned in the last year, maybe prior to that, but just maybe reinforcing it is that sometimes we think we know what we want and then kind of life kind of just kicks us out of behind. It's like, we don't really have time to middle about, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think it's very easy to get lost in the trappings of expectations mm -hmm. and to get lost in the idea of what we're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be in your career or your life at any given moment. And I turned 40 in September. So, you know, <laughs> at the risk of being crude, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's a mind, <laughs> it's a mind trip that for some reason has persisted all this time. Right. When in reality, people like Toni Morrison, her first big novel was published when she was like 41. And she's phenomenal. I don't know why this idea through the media or, you know, and especially now through this 24 hour news cycle that we've had since the advent of the internet, it's just crammed down our throats that we're supposed to have this very regimented, you know, course of our life. And it's garbage. It, it, all that does is serves to make people feel terrible about themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm not sure if that's just part of, you know, a government controlling its people and not a conspiracy theorist, but, uh, you know, there are certain aspects, you know, keep a certain class of people underfoot. I mean, that's, that's the reality. So I don't know if it's that necessarily, but we are fed this idea about where we're supposed to be 
you know, by the time we're 30 or by the time we're 40, you know, and we're all supposed to have kids and reproduce. So, you know, we can create more cogs in the machine to make more money for the billionaires. And it's just, it's bizarre when you take a step back from all of that and think about it. And especially in a creative career, you're made to believe that if you don't have some foothold in the vocation or industry of your choosing, by the time you're 25, you're a failure. Right. And it's very easy to be sucked into that belief and allow that to just rattle around in your brain and mar everything that you do going forward. And I struggled with that for a long time. I still struggle with that. You know, it's like sure. I'm 36 and I'll be 37 in October. And I know a lot of that for a time that probably was true, which was still bullshit. Like you said, they didn't make it <laughs> yeah. any less bullshit. But, you know, and I freaked out for so long because even just the other day, like I'm, you know, on Wikipedia, IMDb, kind of falling down these kind of click holes, um, as I often do. And looking at certain, like, let's say celebrity, and I don't mean necessarily like Hollywood celebrity, but people of notoriety, I should say. So, and I'm looking at their ages and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're younger than me. And not by like one or two years, I'm talking like close to 10. And, you know, there's this sort of like disappointment that washes over me. Oh man, if I started earlier, I should be at this point. Or, you know, if I did it this way, then I could be here. And because for a long time, what got hammered into my head time and time again was, if you don't do it by your mid twenties or like late teens, then you're out of the game. Yeah. And that goes for any vocation, but it's this really bizarre idea that's kind of programmed into us, you know, to a certain degree. It's specifically damning for the creative industries, but it's really for any field where, you know, if you are trying to change careers when you're 35, you know, people give you kind of this side-eyed look like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, and they make you feel very self-conscious about it. So, I'm not quite sure where it started to shift, but there seems to be a conversation about it now where we're kind of reverse engineering that and, you know, breaking it down a little bit to realize that it's just fundamentally untrue. I think a lot of the institutions and even some of the ideas we withheld, they are falling apart. You know, some of it, of course, is our doing and pushing against it. But I think a lot of it is just they're falling apart because they don't hold Like, you mean to tell me that, you know, centuries upon centuries of human existence, that somehow in this point in time that we figured it out and this is the definitive place that we're all supposed to be in? It's like, no, because I was joking, Tylene, like our kids will look back at even this moment and going, you know, a lot of this stuff was kind of nonsense, you know, and we're going to try to do better than that. Like, it's such this weird arrogance almost, like as if somehow right now, this is it. And if the last year taught us anything is that some of the stuff needed to go away. And there's this pushback of like, well, you're not a failure because maybe your career didn't launch, you know, immediately when you're in your twenties. And if you're still doing it 20 years later, you're still valid. And And I'm really hoping that that continues because it's held me back. I know that. And like the stepkids, like they're working on stuff that like, blows my stuff out of the water like there's almost this fearlessness where they don't give a shit (laughs) you know and i'm like yeah i could sit here and be bitter about it but i'm i'm so proud of them because i'm like you know what if i had that at their age all the stuff that that kind of crippled me wouldn't have even been an issue you know last year 2020 was obviously so awful 
and devastating for so many reasons. However, you know, there are some very beautiful things that came out of it, such as I think it became very apparent how important the arts are to not only people's enjoyment of life, but to our own sanity. Right. And so you have all of these people suddenly interacting with the arts in a in a way that they never had before and probably, you know, were to some degree beforehand, but didn't realize it. And just how, you know, important it is to our existence as humans became very apparent and, and how the necessity for the arts, you know, is something that cannot be overstated to, to any degree, you know, and, and as everything else, as the country and the world kind of starts to heal from the pandemic, that may subside to some degree, but I, I hope not. I hope we can try and kindle that little spark as much as we can going forward. That's what I'm hoping to do. It has to, you know, yeah. and I just feel like art is a reflection of the world as is, but what is, you know, society, but something that's in a, a constant state of flux, you know, for good or for ill. So again, like we should be able to evolve with it and realizing that even a lot of stuff that I thought about the arts and even podcasting, what may have worked for me back in 2015 when I started this podcast may not even, it's, it's 2021. I have to find a way to evolve with it. Yeah, we, we put these invisible constraints on ourselves because of what we believe we're supposed to be doing or what we've you know, we've sort of gauged from the industry as to what we're supposed to be doing instead of just creating. And 2020, I think, gave people permission in a way, you know, gave them the liberty to simply create and not self-edit and not self-censor in a way that it's very easy to do and that we're all guilty of. Anybody in the entertainment arts, you know, to any degree, that's something that we've all done. And it feels like 2020 kind of cracked that dam, you know, a little bit, which has been really kind of energizing to see. And again, you know, that's one of the reasons I changed Mr. Butterchips is it was, you know, it trafficked in that kind of despair and anger of the Trump administration, but I didn't want it to continue on that way because number one, thankfully the administration is not there. And there's still plenty, you know, oppression and destruction in the world and intolerance. So there are still things to speak out against. Right. But as far as the comic goes, I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't as reliant on a very specific person or group necessarily. So it was it was time. It was time for me to, you know, morph it <laughs> into something else. And, and I think it's going to be something that people will enjoy. At least I hope it will be. Yeah, I think people will. And maybe they may not be the same people necessarily, but I feel like, you know, again, authenticity always comes through in the end, I feel, in one way or the other. But, you know, there's, there's, I imagine there's maybe, a, like we talked about before, a little bit of hesitation wondering, like, is this the right move? But there's no other move to make. Yeah, and what is the right move? I mean, it's, you know, you can weigh the pros and cons. You can you know, <laughs> analyze it and evaluate it to death, but you're never going to actually know unless you do it, unless you take that leap. And a lot of times in the arts, it's jumping off a cliff without a parachute or, you know, <laughs> or any kind of implement and seeing where you land. Maybe that's a terrible analogy, but it kind of feels that way sometimes. Right. 
in maybe maybe stage dive is a better analogy and you're stage diving and hoping people will catch you <laughs> that's a better way to put it than jumping off a cliff my god that's, that got really dark no i actually <laughs> well it only got dark for me because you mentioned stage diving and <laughs> my brain is always firing like a mile a minute and it made me think of a very particular concert i went to back in 2012 um me and my brother-in-law some other friends of ours, we went to go see Andrew W.K. in uh, New York City. And he was oh, doing sure. um, the I Get Wet album like in its entirety with his full band. And, you know, it was going to be a wild time. And there was like some other acts prior to them that I wasn't quite familiar with. But, you know, and they had like a small crowd that was there for them. And I guess this one um, very overzealous fan, there was just uh, not enough. To, there, you know, there wasn't enough people to hold him up, even if he wanted to. Mm. So they tried, and as they're essentially they're not holding him up as they are gently bringing him down, so he doesn't like crack his head open. Right. <laughs> and he comes feet first down on me, essentially slowly drop kicks me. Oh jeez! <laughs> and I fall to the floor. <laughs> That's a good analogy, though, too. You know, because sometimes the crowd doesn't catch you at all, and you fall on your face. Sometimes a few catch you and you all kind of go down together, but at least you have some company in, in your free fall, you know, and sometimes you find, a, you know, enough people to keep you afloat. So I think those are actually much better metaphors than the cliff jumping, but that, that is how it, it is how it feels because you don't know how it's going to end. You just, you have the adrenaline and you have the motivation to do it. And it seems like a great idea and something that you are compelled to do. And almost, you know, I think a lot of people, and I can only speak for myself, but a lot of the times, you know, results be damned. You just have to do it. You have to run the flag up the pole and see who salutes. And if nobody does, okay, then you move on. But I think the whole process of creating the the act of being a creator it's something that's in you that's innate that for me i can't envision myself not creating right even if i have to take a step back at some point and i'm maybe not doing it you know with the same vigor or the same tenacity and schedule that i'm doing it now there's, I don't think I could ever fully walk away because when you are a creator, when you're an artist of any kind, and I'm, and I'm talking dancing, music, anything, I feel like if you can walk away, then maybe it's not for you. And maybe that's unfair to say, but I, I, that's been my experience with it is I don't think I could ever fully quit. And again, if you need to take a step back and you need to, you know, regroup and, you know, maybe come up with a different game plan. Sure, that's one thing. But I just, I don't see myself, I, I think I would be absolutely miserable if I was never writing and never drawing ever again. And maybe you have to find some sort of being contented with creating for yourself. Right. And, and not worrying about if there's an audience. And I'm still kind of working on that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm gradually moving there. But I think you do at some point need to please yourself first, satisfy yourself first. And, you know, if there's an audience there for it, if there's a readership there for it, fantastic. With me, there's always this thing of I can create for myself and I often do. 
But I also know that there's this compulsion where I do want to share it. Sure. You know, it's like music. Like, you can have 10 people listen to the exact same song. And those 10 people might possibly pull different experiences out of it. And if you were to ask them, you know, what they thought of it. And that's beautiful, but it's also terrifying because it's like, of course, you want all the 10 of those people to be like, you know, please like me, <laughs> you know, like I'm sure. making this stuff and by all means, like experience it and I hope you enjoy it. But if they don't, that isn't necessarily a failing on my end. Right. Or the song in this analogy, like the songs part, you know, it's like some things just don't hit it for other people. Like it just, and that's yeah, something and I, that I just have to just get past. Right. And I think especially when you're younger and I don't want to generalize because I'm sure not everybody's like this, but I think when you're younger in your twenties, there's something very alluring about the idea of, of fame or the idea of this mass group of people, you know, loving what you do. And it seems, you know, I have found as you get older, you know, it's almost like there's like a bar graph where, you know, one, one bar is this idea about doing it for fame. And the other one is about doing it to, make yourself happy. And I think it starts the idea of attaining some sort of celebrity status that starts much higher when you're younger, because there's this drive to please people and to, you know, to have people accept you and, and desire what you're creating. And as you get older, it feels as though those two bars, if not becoming equal, the bar to please yourself begins to surpass the need, the need for attention and the need for people accepting you or praising you like the accolades. It's great. You know, I'm not going to lie when somebody tells you that your work is phenomenal and touched them in some way or meant something to them. It's fantastic. And like, that's the whole idea of art is to connect with people. So, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, dunking on that. But I, I feel as though when you're younger, that seems to be the the optimal driving force is to, you know, gain this following. Whereas as you get older, you know, it's still important to connect with people, but it becomes more about speaking from a genuine and authentic place. And I think that does tend to connect with people, even if it's a smaller group, you know, even if it's not this sort of mass marketable product or brand as they say now right. that you're that you're putting out into the world there's still going to be some people to connect with you and that's if it's five people or five million people i'm still going to put as much effort into a project as i as i would so i mean it i think there is a shift as you get older and you start you know analyzing those <laughs> profundities of you know fame and uh, you know, idolatry almost to a degree, because the way we, the way we treat celebrities and famous people is is pretty god awful. It's revolting. So, and 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 you know, again, being a famous writer or a famous comics creator is is quite a bit different. But I still feel like that kind of attention would just be exhausting. Sometimes, like you don't even hit a certain point or like. a a frame of mind until you get a little bit older. And that's not to say that, you know, when you're young, you know, it's, I'm not trying to equate like youth to 
uh, stupidity or things right. like that or any sort of like lack of awareness. Far from being it. impetuous and yeah, right. But sometimes I feel like at least with me, I you know, and as much as like I wish I was able to do this earlier, it's like I wish I was able to have met like Eileen earlier, as I was able to do these other things earlier. But it's like you know what? If they did, certain things in my life would not have happened. Yeah. And I know that about myself. Like, okay, maybe I would have done a version of it. And in a way, I think I already did do a version of it. But I had to, at least in my own head, come to the conclusion that at the end of the day, I want to do this. And like you said, it's like this it's like this innate, just this thing in your head. Like, you can't turn it off. And even if you're not doing yeah. it, like, at, you know, even if I'm not, let's say, podcasting, that doesn't mean I'm not making things. You know, lately would put on the the microphone and record and just talk. Yeah. And whether or not it gets put out into the world or not was almost like a second thought. Sometimes it's just like, I just need to get the thoughts out of my head just for my own sanity. And I fought like there's a folder somewhere and it's going to be buried in a vault next to Jimmy Hoffa. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, see, that's a, that's a reference. Yeah. The kids are really going to get that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because at some point it becomes more about the ritual. You know, it, it's, it's just, you know, again, something ingrained that you need to do. Like we've said, it's, it, it's not to insult or be condescending to, you know, young adults. I just think at that time in your life, you have the opportunities to take risks and be bold and, you know, act, act impulsively in a way that you can't when you get older, because as you get older, priorities tend to change. I got married, you know, my wife is, is a big consideration in my life. We now have a child on the way with, which we just kind of announced the world pretty recently. Which congratulations, by the way, that's, that's fantastic. And that's life-changing. Like, that's awesome. It is life-changing. Absolutely. So, you know, that kid's going to be the most important thing in our lives. So, so again, I think as you get older, it's not that you become less impulsive or, or less enthusiastic about the craft. I just think priorities change and life changes. And there's nothing wrong with, with either, you know, either one of those vantage points because you know, again, the whole idea of like marriage and having kids is something that we've been told we have to do. So right. if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever, and you never marry and you never have kids, that's fine too. You know, if you do dedicate your life to your work and, and you know, if that's something that you actually want to do and that actually, you know, is fulfilling, more power to you. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I did get married and we're having a child. And so that's definitely going to be a monumental shift in, in, you know, the way that I perceive going about not only my daily routine, but, you know, my vocation as well. So there's going to be some shifts and I'm, you know, I have a very supportive wife. Luckily she has a very good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so being a team and when it's actually a team, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like, transcendental to a certain degree when it's when it just works yeah it's it's effortless and that's that's not to say that you know in a relationship you never argue or have disagreements but to have somebody who's always been supportive of what i do even though it's never <laughs> made a ton of money that's that's something i've never had before in a, in a partner so it's been something that's been been quite eye-opening for me 
that's one thing I do wish for people and not necessarily, it doesn't have to be in terms of like a traditional spouse, but that right. I, I do wish that everybody in the world at least had one person, or if you can find multiple people, then awesome to support you. And I don't necessarily mean to kind of bring this up, but when we were kind of first talking about getting together, it didn't matter to me necessarily that you had the graphic novel or that, you know, you were having things to announce. Because at the end of the day, it's like, I enjoy speaking with you because you are someone who, A, just has value because you're a human being. And also, I I admire you for the person you are. And I think I if I had one wish is that everybody at least had somebody that, you know, supports them and not strictly just for the money that they could make or, you know, the fame or notoriety. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a partner as well who supports me, even when I'm being a complete dumbass. <laughs> right. But that's part of being a partner is, is, you know, nobody's perfect. And you have to, if you love somebody, you accept them for, you know, you accept them for their flaws and for their virtues. Yeah. And definitely not putting up with my shit, but also just seeing like, I like you and I support you. And it's like, yeah, it's not like this thing necessarily is this huge cash cow either, but it doesn't need to be to see the importance of it. And that's rare because not right. everybody does. Yeah. And I found, you know, as much as I lament social media, because for a lot of reasons, I, I absolutely despise it. But on the other hand, you know, I've met friends like you and I've built a bit of a community of close friends who I've never even met in real life. Yep. Same. So there's that idea of, you know, family is not always blood. And I'm, I am a firm believer in, in that, you know, there's chosen family can be just as, if not more important than blood family. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky, you know, that I have a very supportive family, you know, that, but not everybody does. You know, I think that those kind of conversations that are out in the open now about those relationships and and the importance and the need for that kind of support whether you're an artist or just a person living yeah <laughs> in whatever in whatever you're doing any of your endeavors we need support and we need people to be in our corner so i know you know how lucky i am i i absolutely recognize and acknowledge that and so that's the only reason i've continued you know in this crazy quest to somehow be a known cartoonist is you know the only reason i've even been able to find the chutzpah to continue is because of my wife and my parents and the the close-knit community that i found online of people who will for no reason tell me that they appreciate me and it's it's mutual admiration. I want to make that very clear. Right. You know, I do, I do my best to support the, the people as well. My, you know, the people that I, the community that I've cultivated for myself. And I may have quit a long time ago if I'm being very frank and open, you know, I, and I still have those moments. And I think every artist does where mm -hmm. something isn't working or something isn't necessarily getting the attention that you wanted or, or gets universally rejected it's very easy to just want to throw in the towel and you know you start to ponder that life might be easier if you <laughs> you know if you just left all of this behind but i have plenty of people 
gently, you know, urging me forward, which has been integral and, you know, something that I can't replace. And I don't think I'll ever even fully be able to, you know, pay back. Not that any of them expect it. Right. But having that be my personal experience, again, is not something that I take for granted because I know not a lot of people have that. And and I do, my heart goes out to those people. I'm empathetic towards it. Absolutely. And I'm thinking back now to the story I was just telling about the kid that dropped kicked me. The, <laughs> the, the postscript to that story was, um, I got footprints in the shirt I just bought that have to this day have never come out. <laughs> and yet, you know, like Eileen would still kind of like wear it around the house, like whatever. Cause she's like, it's still a cool shirt. It's like, I know. Sure. <laughs> it's it's like, the shirt. There's nothing wrong with the shirt. And you know, to use that metaphor too, I think failed stage dives are important. And I know that sounds humor, <laughs> more humorous than I mean it to, but failure is important because if everything came easy, if everything was a success, I don't think there's any knowledge or life experience gained from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've almost convinced myself that I appreciate all my failures. No, you should. No, I do. I do. And it's. <laughs> I mean, we say that now that we're a little bit removed from some of them because no one ever says that like in the midst of you're like, hey, this is a great thing that's happening. I'm going to learn from this. It's like, not yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. But but again, it's it's also, you know, to piggyback on what you were saying, you know, failed stage dives are important, but it's also you also learn which people are going to be there to catch you when it does fail. Hmm. And that's, I think, a huge lesson to learn. You know, it's like the Fairweather fans and Fairweather friends, you know, that you're going to find out when you have failures, when you have, you know, extreme lows in your life, you find out very quickly (laughs) which people really care about you. And that's, I think that's very useful and insightful knowledge to have. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that hit a little home today. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so, you know, tying that in with everything we've been talking about, we need people, you know, and a pandemic has stripped us of a lot of those interactions that are really important. And so I hope, you know, and luckily we live in an era where there's Zoom and there's, you know, video calls, things that seemed very foreign to us 80s kids when we saw it in Back to the Future. But we're <laughs> right? lucky that, but we have it now. And that is kind of a gift because without that, I think the year would have been all the more difficult without any interaction. It's of course doing a zoom call or Skype or some other video chat, you know, it does not make up. It does not replace in-person interaction, but you can at least see your friends. You can see your family. And I truly believe without that, it would have been a much harder year because you need, you need people not to sound like Barbara Streisand, but you need people who need people, man. It's, it's important. It is important. And even one other person, one or two other people, one or two very close friends and individuals who you can count on, you can call at three in the morning, you know, and cry with them. They will be there. If you have one or two, you're lucky. Yeah. You're damn fortunate. I've been lucky enough to have, you know, a few more than that. And I think that's why that's one of the main reasons why I'm still in pursuit of the windmills, (laughs) as it were, you know, the man of La Mancha chasing the windmills. (laughs) So I'm still doing this because I have people 
telling me it's okay to still go after that. Dream the impossible dream. I, I keep going back to the stage dive thing. Like, wow. Like, I was just saying it's kind of to be funny, but to bring up a point. But, like, now it's like I keep coming back to that. Yeah, no, it has some some definite applications for sure. Yeah, and that's the beauty of meeting awesome people like you to kind of pull these things out. Because I think about it, if I didn't fall flat on my face 10 years ago, this conversation doesn't happen. Right. Now, I'm not saying that I want to go through that again. I'm not saying it was great. It was a terrible time. And I may have managed it poorly. I probably did. I know I did. But you survived. Yeah. But everything that at least I know now that is good in my life came from that. And maybe did I become uber successful as a result of my catastrophic failure? No. But I also knew that at least that fear, that kind of held me back even then, peeled away, where I was like, at least I was able to be a little more outgoing to even be online and be on social media and to even meet someone like Eileen or to even write a blog and post it and have people actually read it or to yammer on this podcast and have people come back and be like, hey, I enjoyed your yammering. And I'm like, that's wild to me because that would not have happened. Yeah, and I think after an ordeal like that, you know, and just getting on in years, the, the metrics for success tend to shift. And I think they become something more attainable to a degree because when you're young, success typically means notoriety and, you know, wealth. Whereas for me now, success means not having to have hold down, you know, a, a day job. <laughs> so the, the, the idea of success can shift and, be modified as you get older. And I think that naturally tends to happen. And there's there's nothing wrong with either versions of success. I just think as you get older, you know, maybe the those ideas become a little bit more rational. And, you know, again, not to, I am one of the least pragmatic people in the world. So I'm definitely not <laughs> applying that you to and myself. Me both. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think as you get older, there's just this natural change of tide to a degree where you your ideas of you know obtaining your goals or something that are very different than when you were when you were younger and if i can like i said if i can now make a full time living from my cartooning which is more and more you know becoming a reality and will hopefully continue on that trajectory and I'll I'll be happy. Anything on top of that is icing on the proverbial cake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's okay to celebrate. You have to. Yeah, and I think as you again, as I get got older, I think even in my thirties, minor successes became more than enough reason to celebrate and to immortalize somehow. Oh, I, and I and again, it's this isn't necessarily being insulting or. or talking about any specific group of people or age group rather it's just a, a i think a natural shift that tends to occur especially when you've <laughs> when you fielded enough rejections and mm -hmm. you know your expectations i think get lower and lower it's, <laughs> you know it starts it starts wealth and fame and then you think okay maybe like a few people know me and some money and then it becomes okay maybe i can make a good living from it Okay, maybe I could just make a fucking living. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with lowering those expectations. 
because here's the here's the great thing about lowering expectations. The great thing about that is you're far less disappointed when something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's the the push and pull of having to, you know, to lower your expectations in a reasonable way, but not so low right. where you don't appreciate the small victories and someone um yeah. very intelligent, very beautiful um mentioned no, earlier. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like in the eight years that I've known her has been a very big proponent of the small victories. Yeah, Eileen's wonderful. Yeah. I am a lucky man. Yeah. I really am. And a lot of most of what I'm able to do with this and is mainly through her influence and not in a, you know, I'd fall apart without her necessarily, but the, again, like you talked about having the support and having someone say, Hey, maybe the thing that you thought you wanted out of this, maybe at the beginning is not what you want out of it now, but it doesn't make any of it any less valid. It's just like you said, priorities change. And right. And, and, and like you said, that's, you know, priorities and objectives, goals, those can all shift and all of them are incredibly valid and incredibly important. So it doesn't matter what it is. I just hope, you know, for me, I would like people to understand that there isn't anything that they have to do by any specific time. If there's anything that I can say, it's keep going. If it's something that you love doing, continue doing it because you never know what's going to happen. My, the only regret I will ever have is if I quit and then, you know, on, on my deathbed thinking, what if that's the worst possible outcome for me? Right. If I epically fail and I go down in flames in the attempts to, you know, touch the sun, that's okay. Because at least I know that it wasn't meant to be. I, I don't want to have any regrets about this, you know, when my time in the sun comes to a close. I don't want to have a question like, what if I had just tried one more submission? What if I had just developed one more series? I feel like that's the worst thing for, for me. The worst, like I said, the worst possible outcome for me. Not rejection. Rejection I can live with. Rejection's a part of being an artist. From the sounds of things, and like I said, I can't wait because when these things start taking shape, you know, I hope you know that, you know, we have a place to discuss them because I want to hear all about it. And I'm nosy like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not nosy. You're you're absolutely included in that group of people who have been, you know, fundamentally supportive and wonderful about all of my artistic ventures. And I appreciate and I couldn't, that. I couldn't be more appreciative. Anytime, buddy. And thank you for sharing all this with me. Definitely. I can cancel my therapy session for this week now. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, therapy's very that important That was cathartic. People. That was cathartic <laughs> as hell, right? <laughs> and that's almost what I want out of this year is because we came out of a god-awful year. And mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with didn't even have anything to do with the pandemic. Right. And someone, if you're listening, uh, Mr. Draco, had said, it's like, maybe with your show, it's less about promotion than it is just finding connections. Yeah. I didn't like being called out like that, but it hit the nail on the head. And especially after the year that we've had, 
I just hope that we can maybe reestablish some of those. And thank you yeah. for being a part of it. And well, before we go, let everybody know where they can find out more about your stuff because people <laughs> need to read your stuff. You're ridiculously interesting. <laughs> And I just want people to, to be able to. I'm also like, just kind of ridiculous. Well, yeah. Well, that's why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> my and I'm, I know you'll put this in the show notes because my name is not the easiest to spell for some reason. Um, my main website is alexschumacherart.com. I am on Twitter and Instagram pretty regularly, and both of those handles are. AJ Schumacher art. I like to make things easy, mainly for myself so I can remember them because I'm getting old. <laughs> and and I have a Patreon, which is also uh, patreon.com backslash AJ Schumacher art. And you can give me money. And I urge you to do so. Absolutely. As well, they welcome, should. Welcome you to not urge you, but I kind of <laughs> urge you to also. <laughs> and thank you. And <laughs> I have also, a baby on the way, man. I need right? money. <laughs> <laughs> no like anybody who's not like that shit is expensive yeah it is <laughs> and it only gets I, more I, expensive as they get older so it's nothing like it stops so no I, people if need i'm to already eat. exploiting this kid before she's even here oh man there's oh no nah, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be a, a great dad and she's a great gonna be parent. part of my viral marketing i'm just gonna have her holding my comics it works. I've been to shows, and you know, I've already said too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But <laughs> no, but if, but honestly, if you want to support me, the the tiers on Patreon start at like a dollar a month, and you get you know all the posts, and I'm going to start doing Q and As. I have a YouTube channel that I that I um, share on there as well. So seriously, a dollar a month is is not a whole lot to ask, and. I understand that a lot of people have financial hardships right now. So if you can't, you know, donate or support me financially, I am more than happy to have people just share my work and share, you know, my sites. That's, that's more appreciated than I can express. Man, like, again, thank you. Cause um, I sure as, I didn't realize I needed this chat until it happened. So I'm glad that we did it. So it was mutually beneficial and it was Honestly, it was my pleasure. Always, always a pleasure to chat with you, man. For those of you at home, this and every episode of Adrian Has Issues can be found on AdrianHasIssues.com. There's also Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or other fine podcasts are downloaded. The opening and ending theme song has been written and created by the ridiculously talented Grant Henry, a.k.a. Stimmage. Uh, you can find more of his stuff at stimmagemusic.com. That's S-T-E-M-A-G-E music.com. And thank you for listening. And that'll do it for this episode of Aging Has Issues. And uh, we'll see you next issue. <laughs>